everyone. Welcome to That's a Good Question. I'm John. And I'm Ryan. And we're excited to answer some big questions uh, today. We've been working through a sermon series called Biblical Answers to Big World Questions. And this past Sunday, Pastor Ryan preached on God and country. How do we love our country without committing idolatry? How do you be a good patriot without being a Christian nationalist? Uh, and we got some questions. Yeah, we got some great questions. We thought the questions yeah. last week were hard. And then people pulled out the stops. For they got harder. They got harder. And there were lots of them. So we had to yeah. consolidate a little bit. So if you don't hear your specific question, each of the questions we're going to read is one that somebody asked, but we had to consolidate and bring them together. So I'm sure you'll hear the topic that you asked a question about, even if you don't hear the specific question asked. Yeah. So yep. ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. Question number one, can I pledge allegiance to my country without taking away from my full allegiance to Christ? Yeah, I would say absolutely you can. The Pledge of Allegiance, especially with that beautiful little clause that was put in the 1950s, under God, we make, we make allegiances and promises and, and commitments all the time without, without it affecting our commitment to God. I think about our commitment to our family, our allegiance to our wife. Um, I would say there's absolutely no problem saying the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, knowing that our allegiance is ultimately to God and serving our country well is one of the ways we show, we show that. So, yeah. How would you? Yeah, it's an order of priority, right? Yeah. Um, priority, uh, my allegiance to God, to Christ is first. There are other allegiances I have. Um, real quick, what would you say to somebody that said, uh, hey, Matthew 5 says we shouldn't take an oath, um, so isn't the Pledge of Allegiance an oath? Yeah, so when Jesus says that, um, in a lot of ways he's talking about letting our yes be yes and our no's be no. He's, he's talking about not making promises we can't deliver on, Let, living a life of true integrity, um, don't, don't promise what you can't deliver. And so I don't think this is, is a direct correlation right. of that. Right. Jesus isn't saying don't make any promises or yeah. sign any contracts. Clearly yeah. not. No. Uh, cool. Next question. Number two. Can Christians stay out of or avoid politics? Yeah. Absolutely not. Because, number one, there's two ways you look at it. Number one, we can't avoid politics because it encompasses our entire life. Hmm. The laws that we live by um, as a society are dictated by the politics that we have. And it's just, it's, it's all around us all the time. So on that, on that hand, we can't avoid politics. I think what the person's maybe specifically asking is, can I avoid it and not participate in the political process and not mm. vote? And I would say, as Christians, we need to be setting the example of what it means to be great citizens. The political process that's, that's available to like the common man, the common person, is relatively unknown in human history. We have yeah. a great opportunity to serve God and to live out our faith and to see to see the kingdom of heaven be brought in through the ways that we engage the political process and vote. So I would say, um, no, we, we can't, nor should we avoid politics. John, how would you, how would yeah, you say? Yeah, going back to the etymology of the word politics, right? Yeah. Uh, the polis was the city yep. uh, in the ancient world. So politics is just like the affairs of the city, the affairs of the society. And so if you yeah. think about it that way, uh, the, the affairs of the world around us, Christians should be involved in the yep. affairs of the world. We're, we're uh, in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not supposed to be removed, totally set apart um, in the sense that we don't engage with the world at all. We, we've got to be involved and engaged. Use yeah. the influence God has given us. And one of the really helpful lines that you had in the sermon was, we're supposed to be engaged, but not, not obsessed. obsessed. Yeah. And I think that's... Engaged, not obsessed. Politics should not be the summation of our hopes and our fears and our dreams. So, John, how would you think about this question. Uh, what would you say to someone who says that I don't get involved in politics because God's going to take care of it anyway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got that question. Yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would put it back to them. I would ask them a question that I've had from other people, which is, um, 
if God's in control, do you think you should also wear a seatbelt? <laughs> yeah. uh, I've, I've, I've literally had that argument with people before. They've said, well, hey, God's in control of everything, so I don't need to wear a seatbelt. Well, I want to say, you know, God ordained means to get to the ends. Uh, God ordained a seatbelt to help keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And so if God's planning on keeping you safe, one of the things, the tools that he might use is the seatbelt. Uh, if God wants you to be involved in change in our society, one of the tools that he uses is politics or our political process. Uh, he's yeah. called you to do that. God is in control, and yet humans have responsibility. Those absolutely. are two things that, that Scripture tells us are absolutely true. Yeah. So with this next question, we, we kind of answered it, but let's just take another little spin on it. Um, should Christians vote? And I think maybe the question we really want to get at is how should Christians decide who to vote for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we already kind of touched on this. The answer is yes, Christians yeah. should vote. Um, we have a responsibility given to us by God, to use every opportunity we have to stand for truth, to stand for biblical values, to advocate for a just society. Um, you know, voting is is a really powerful way, <clears throat> a really powerful way that we can use our influence to have a change on society. Like you mentioned before, it's unprecedented in history before America uh, that we would have this much influence on the world around us. And yeah. So, yeah, we've got to use it. Yeah. Uh, another question that came in is, will people be held accountable for how they vote? Yeah, 100%. Um, and scripturally speaking, uh, you know, Matthew talks about, in Matthew 12, Jesus tells us that we're going to have to give an account for every careless word we speak. Like, we're going to have to give an account to, for everything we do. Paul, Paul um, piggybacks, piggybacks off that and continues that sentiment in Romans 14 where he talks about we are going to have to give an account for ourselves for everything that we do. And that includes the ways we interact with people and, yes, the ways that we, the ways that we vote. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I've, I've heard people talk about this, this issue of I, I vote for the lesser of two evils. Hmm. So should Christians, uh, should Christians abstain from voting because neither candidate represents Christian values? What, if, what about that scenario? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, we've definitely had times when we're not very excited about either candidate on either side of the aisle as we approach an election. Um, I, I think the question I'd want to ask is, do you really think that person is, is so bad or so evil that they are disqualified from being a leader? And if so, then don't vote for them. You know, if you think they are truly evil, if they are truly disqualified from being a leader, um, then don't vote for them. Uh, but I'd also want to be quick to say, remember, as Christians, we believe in um, we believe in a broken world. We believe we are broken, sinful people, and so all of us are broken. Uh, unless Jesus, you know, runs for president, then we're always going to be voting for somebody who's broken. Absolutely. And so we have to think um, we have to think a lot about policies and not just um, not just maybe the the appearance uh, or. Uh, the media spread on the person who yeah. is running for office. Just think about what are the policies that they advocate for? What's the platform they stand on? What are the laws or, or the Supreme Court justices that will be put in place? Things like yeah. that that will have a lasting effect beyond this person. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely important thought. Uh, should Christians run for public office then? Yes, absolutely. I'd say yes to at every level, yeah. the, the, from school boards all the way up to the presidency. Yeah. yeah. We're not saying it won't be hard. It'll That's, be a challenge, oh, I think, man. for Christians, yeah. but yep, yeah, sure. do it. So, yeah. Good. Next question. Should Christians serve in the military? Yeah, I think, number one, it, well, it's A, it's never prohibited in Scripture. So should Christians serve in the military? If that's what you feel called to do, we, I affirm that. I come from a long line of military men um, who have proudly served this country. 
I don't think there is a prohibition. I think that's a great way to serve God and serve your country. Um, so I wouldn't have a problem that. And actually, yeah. you know, as a youth pastor, it was always a great joy of mine when I was a youth pastor to see to see kids that I ministered to through high school go and choose to serve in the military. It's yeah. something I always love to, to bless and celebrate. Uh, pray for them as they go and help maintain the, the 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 good things that this country represents across the world. And so yeah, yeah. yeah. And the you know in Romans thirteen and other passages in the Bible uh, it says that God has put government authorities in place and he has given them the power of the sword, yeah. uh, right? He's given government authorities, uh, yeah, the power, of, uh, the power of punishment, the power of the sword in order to protect, defend, uh, punish those who are, who are wicked. And, and so the same would go for like police. Yeah, the, right. The police officers. And so it's also, it's, it's, it's a sort of a job, right? Your, your military is at your job. And yeah. I, I'd love to see Christians in, in every sphere of influence um, across our country representing Christ and what they do from military to police and so the idea I think though can you speak to this the idea of like when it comes to this idea of when you are a police officer or in the military there may be times where you're called to end life yeah you know we see we see the Ten Commandments Exodus 20 say you know yeah. we shut out murder yeah how do you reconcile those two knowing that when you sign up for the military that is a real possibility yeah totally. for your future yeah uh, that is I think clearly the the most difficult part of a Christian being involved in the military or the police or, or armed, some kind of armed, uh, armed position. Um, yeah, I, I think in Exodus 20, God is speaking about murder. Um, we see uh, other evidence in the Bible of, um, of justified ending of life. Uh, that, that does have to happen at times. And so, yeah, I don't think Exodus 20 is prohibiting Christians from taking part in that. Uh, a Christian has a lot of uh, moral things to think about, especially in the military. You have to think about some uh, some just war theory things about um, you know is this a war that I can partake in? Do I think that it's just? Do I think that we're we're doing something that's overall good um, and worth the taking of life? So there's definitely moral challenges there, and but I don't see in Scripture um, something that just says no. By no yeah. means should you be part of this at all. I don't yeah, see I mean. That. We know that God never contradicts himself in Scripture. Yeah. So on the one hand, we see God prohibit murder in the Ten Commandments. But on the other hand, we see God call his people to war yeah. um, and knowing that's going to result in the end of life. So clearly God sees those as two different things. And so there's times where we justly have to enact um, the art of war yeah. uh, that's going for the greater good. Um, so, so that's a great question. Um, it's a powerful question. And yeah. we know that those who enjoy the military, they're signing up for um, an important, an important thing. So I'm glad people are thinking through that from a Christian perspective. Yeah. So this is this is kind of shifting gears a little bit, and I think this is a question that's primed for the executive pastor. <laughs> that is primed for the executive pastor to answer. And actually, I'll, I'll go and say this. This for me is a question that's come up. Um, I would say in the last year, I've gotten a number of people ask mm. about this specific question. So curious what yeah. your thoughts are. Is it okay for the church to claim the 501? 501c3 tax exempt status. Yeah, definitely. And I've I've gotten that question a few times before too. Um, and I had a had a chance over the last day to get to consult with our director of operations, Hank, who had some great. Uh, he's got a, a lot more financial background than I do, so he was able to speak to this too. But I'll say a few different things. Uh, number one, what I want to say is I've heard some confusion. Uh, uh, the 501c3 is a tax status, not some kind of government endorsement. Uh, it is not. It doesn't come with obligations to agree to a certain belief statement or to practice certain things. 
Um, if there was a code of beliefs or an obligation to practice certain things, then you know we would have to consider if that violates our conscience or if we can do that. Um, that might lead us to give up that tax status. But let me just share with you a few things from the IRS website itself. Uh, the IRS website says this, the benefits of having 501c3 status include exemption from federal income tax and eligibility to receive tax-deductible charitable contributions. Okay, so so it means that we don't have to pay income tax, we don't have to pay property tax, and it means that those who uh, give a donation to the church, they don't pay uh, income tax on that, that gift that they're giving. Um, I'll, I'll read just a little bit more. Uh, the exempt purposes set forth in 501c3 are charitable, religious, educational, scientific, literary, testing for public safety. Uh, they go on. There's a lot. Uh, the term charitable is used in its generally accepted legal sense and includes relief of the poor, the distressed, the underprivileged, and the advancement of religion. Uh, so... Uh, so the government has put in place this tax status to try to promote uh, people doing good things, right? It tries to say, hey, you don't have to pay taxes on this portion of your money if you're going to use it for these quote-unquote charitable purposes. And so, you know, we take advantage of that. It, it helps us. It saves us money. Yep. Uh, it saves yep. money for those who would give funds to us. Um, one more thing I'll quickly read to you, and this was, um, this was Hank, our director of operations, kind of summary. He said, the people who give the donation get a tax benefit. So there's win number one. The organization is allowed to not count donations as income. There's win number two. And if the organization actually does use the money for a good purpose, there's win number three. Hmm. And uh, Peace Church is, of course, somebody yeah, who uses right. the money for good purposes. Um, you know, we could ask questions about other, other organizations, but that's kind of besides the point. So that's what it is. It's a, it's a tax status. Um, it doesn't obligate us to do something that violates our conscience, at least not at this point. If it ever were, then we would reconsider it. You know, we're yeah, Bible absolutely. first, following yep. the Lord first. Um, if we have to pay more money or pay taxes in order to, to follow the Lord and follow the Bible, then so be it. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, we don't feel like we're in that spot just yet. Yeah, and I think that question has made us revisit the conversation, and it's something we're aware of. Yeah. And as we continue on and we see the world progress and the government continue to take shape, it's something we'll keep the our finger on the pulse of. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nope. It's good. Cool. Pastor Ryan, when as citizens of heaven can we disobey leaders here on earth? So this was one that came into us yeah. in multiple different forms, but I think that's that's one way that somebody asked it, and I think that's probably the simplest way to ask it. Yeah. When can we disobey leaders here on earth since we're citizens of heaven? Some of the examples they gave were. Uh, Christians hiding Jews in Nazi Germany. Um, Daniel doesn't bow down to the idol or pray to the king instead of God. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, that is a question that has been coming up um, on, a, on, I don't want to say a regular basis, but I've, I've heard that question a lot, especially since 2020 with some of the COVID restrictions and people yeah. wondering if, is the, if, if the government is overstepping their bounds. And number one, our allegiance is to God and his mm -hmm. revealed word. Romans 13 says we need to honor our leaders, knowing that they were put there in place by God to serve a purpose. And as we, we already kind of talked about this before, um, there are times where we see in Scripture, like the other one would be in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5, when, when the authorities tell Peter and company to stop preaching the gospel, they're like, no, we're not going to stop doing that because we obey God, not man. And so the question of when is it time to disobey our, our, disobey our leaders, there's a few things you got to take into context. Um, Number one, are they really call, when do, are they calling us to really violate our faith and our conscience? Uh, we can't do that. Um, secondly is that we have, in our, in our government, we have the Constitution, we have laws, and we have diplomacy, and we have ways to change, um, ways to change laws. And so I would say the first thing is, like, have we exhausted every opportunity yeah. to see the change that we want in this world? 
um, and knowing that to disobey the government is going to come with consequences. And so for people who are asking that question, I think what they're looking for is like, what are they, what's, what's the algorithm to know when we can disobey the government? Mm. What, are the, what are the five, as soon as the government does three or five things, we can stop sure. obeying them. And I think you know, another way to look at it is, is when you're ready to suffer the consequences for it. Mm. When you think it's such a grievous act upon the government that you are willing to suffer the consequences for disobe- disobeying the government, that should help you know. And not just you, but the consequences it'll bring upon your family and your sure. children. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, for me, I'm going to put that pretty high, uh, knowing that we're called to submit to our leaders. And within America, we have a, we have a political process and a, and, a, and a way that we can go about this diplomatically, that we should yeah. be engaging first with, with, with an immense effort. But if, they ever, if the government ever calls us to violate our faith, go against our conscience, um, then of course, we, we obey God, not man. Yeah, you, one of the ways I've, I've said it before is it's like the principle of the boss's boss. Right? Yeah, if yeah, your yeah. boss, if your boss's boss gives you a command, but then your your boss one step above you tells you to do something different, who do you go with? Your boss or your boss's boss? You go with the, the higher person in the hierarchy, yeah. right? And in yeah. our hierarchy, God is at the top. So if yeah. if in the middle the government tells us to do something that violates God's will, then we're always yeah. going to go with God. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I'd say about this is um, we we're, I think we're talking about like. A, a vertical approach to this. There's us and the government ab- above us. When can we, when can we, no longer obey them? You know, um, and we're talking about a vertical process of diplomacy and politics to to see the change. The other thing I would say is that Christians need to be out there changing our culture through spreading the gospel. Yeah, like the grassroots yeah. groundswell mm-hmm. approach to this. Um, we want to see the we want to see the government be more in aligned with with what. With God's call, yeah. Um, and one of the ways to do that is let's just spread the gospel. Let's change the culture around us, and knowing that those people will become the lawmakers and the politicians. Yeah. And so, I would say we need to be as zealous for reaching our neighbor yeah. as we are for wondering what the government's doing. Amen. That's it. I mean, the gospel is the thing that will truly change people's right. hearts. It will change cultures, and eventually, yeah. that all will change policy. Yeah. Um, Add, I'll add one layer to that. I brought a book with me I want to recommend. Uh, it's, a, it's a heavier one, so y'all don't have to read this. But uh, <laughs> if you want to get involved in local politics... Just show up what it is. Yeah, okay, this is, this is the thickness of it. If you want to get involved in politics, if you want to get involved in lawmaking, whether that's by advocating to your uh, congressman or, or whatever means, here's a book for you. It's called The Heritage Guide to the Constitution. It's basically a commentary on the Constitution. Interesting. Um, as Christians... We're people of the book, right? We're people of the Bible. Uh, we believe that we got to go back to the Bible, the foundational document of our faith. And uh, similarly, as Americans, we're also people of the book, right? We're a constitutional republic, so we have a document yeah. that actually uh, rules our nation. It's the Constitution. And so if you want to think about how do I make change, you ought to know that document. You know, Read the Constitution, get an understanding of it as you think about how do I advocate for policies, laws, and representatives that will head in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Cool. All right, let's, uh, we're winding down here. We're going to talk about two specific policy issues. Okay. Uh, we're going to kind of use these as case studies to think about all the stuff we've been talking about. So a couple of big, big hot ones here. Here we go. First one. Because Christians, and this is the way it was phrased to us in the question, because Christians are supposed to be loving and welcoming, is it wrong to be upset about the current administration's border policy? Loaded question. Yeah. Lots of stuff going on there. That's the way yeah. it was phrased to us. How do we think it through as, as Christians? Yeah, and I think just as kind of a, a precursor to this question, 
because I know we do this too. When we formulate questions that we're trying to answer, we always have to wonder about the presuppositions of our own questions. Yeah. Uh, we got to be aware of the worldview and, and the perspective that we have that even brings us to formulate yeah. that question. But when it comes to this, this sort of thing, I'd say this is, this is a great question um, because on the one hand, we want to see a land maintained with, with laws um, that's governed well and ensuring, um, ensuring that the people who come into this country, we can care for them. That's one of the ways that we should ensure that we love them. Um, and so this idea of like the border policy, I think what we're, what, I think what the question is, is, the, is immigration and people coming across the border undocumented with, un, with not being documented. Um, and, and how do we love those people um, while still upholding the law? And I would say, I'd say number one, our first call is that we are to always view another person as made in the mm -hmm. image of God. Mm -hmm. We should never just categorize people as being illegals or undocumented people. You know, yeah. we need to always see people as as being made in the image of God. So the question is, how do we love them well? Mm -hmm. And I would say, not having an open border is one of the best ways that we can love people, um, because if we just flood everyone in here, we're not going to have the resources and and um, to be able to love them well. It's going to overwhelm yeah. the system and crack down. We've got we've got legal processes for people to, for people. We have a legal process for people to enter the country legally that helps maintain the system that is able to care for everybody. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to being upset with policies, we can be upset with policies, but but that should never drive us to see another human being as less than as less than a human being. Yeah. How would you? No, definitely. And I think one of the going back to the premise of the question, like you said, is you know there's some presuppositions in there. Um, Often, I think questions about policies get boiled down into what will make a great sound soundbite on the news, yeah. right? Uh, what is the simplest, most re reduced way we can ask the question? Um, and often, it comes with sort of a guilt statement to it, right? Yeah. Um, mm. If you're if you're if you're really loving, you will do this. You'll advocate for my policy. Um, but policy is just not that simple. Right. It's more complex than that. So I think as Christians, we have to come with our biblical principles. Uh, I want to love people. I want to welcome people. I want to serve people. But then we have to ask the question, how? How do we do that the best? Um, uh, how do we go about that in a way that truly loves people and serves them well? Uh, what are the consequences of each of these policy actions? If we decide to do this, what will the results be? Yeah. Uh, you have to think through all those those different issues. Um, I, I, I think what you just said there is really important for Christians to hear because often oftentimes what happens, we take very complex policies. I want to like summarize what you just said because it was so good. We take complex policies and we and we boil them down, maybe even beyond their essence, to a cultural club that we beat people with to, yeah. to get them to submit yeah. to our way of seeing things. Yeah. And Christians, we always got to step back and, and say, what is the biblical worldview behind this? Yeah. Don't be bullied into, you know, um, things like you're unloving or you're uncompassionate if you take this stance. Yeah. Um, to take a step back and really analyze the situation, analyze what the Bible says, and really think about this critically about what's going on. Yeah. Um, I just think Christians really need to hear what you just said. So. Well, and you know, you and I even think through some of these things when we're thinking about um, policy or decisions here at church. And yeah. one of the things, you and I both uh, love the whiteboard. We both have whiteboards in our offices. And one of the things that I know you and I have, have done before is sort of draw a line down the middle of the whiteboard and sort of put some principles along the one, the one side. Uh, these are things that the Bible says. These are things that we believe. And the other side, we start writing down, these are the practical implications yeah. of these things. These are the consequences. Um, and so when you put those on paper, you start to see, all right, I got principles, I got consequences, and it's not so easy to just say, well, obviously I'm going to do this. Uh, yeah. you, have to, you have to really weigh things out and get yeah. practical. Yep. So it's good. So, all right, hey, 
one of the last questions I think we have here. Is this this is one of the last ones, right? Yep. Is it? So, great question. Um, this is going to kind of saddle one of the sermons we're going to preach in this series, but let's just go ahead and ask, ask it now. Can someone vote for a pro-choice politician if they are truly a Christian? Again, that was the way the question was phrased. Yeah. Let me say it again. Can someone vote for a pro-choice politician if they are truly a Christian? Yeah, and much like just the last question, right? I think we have to reframe the question. The, qu the question is already posed in a way that I think makes some presuppositions. Um, uh, you know, to talk about this topic, it's not, I don't think our goal as Christians, we don't want to call into question whether or not somebody else is a Christian. That's not the point. Um, uh, that, that's kind of a different conversation altogether. Yeah. Um, so let's not talk about, uh, do, can you be a Christian if you did that? Let's instead say, uh, should Christians do this? If you're a Bible-believing Christian, should you do X, Y, or Z? I think that's yeah. the better question, the way mm -hmm. to approach the topic. Um, and so, you know, the specific question is about pro-choice, or let's just let's just call it what it is, pro-abortion, right? That's what we're talking about. So pro-abortion, policies or candidates, um, should we as Christians do those things? Is it biblical? Well, um, if you're around Peace Church, you probably already know where we're at on that. We preach uh, every year, at least once a year, uh, on Sanctity of Life Sunday, a whole sermon on this. We yep. get into the text of the Bible and see what it has to say about it, as well as giving some specific applications. Um, but we'll just be really clear right here, right now, uh, Christians should not vote for pro-abortion candidates or policies. Um, abortion is the taking of a life. Uh, we can't be for that. Unborn children are children, human beings made in God's image. Uh, and so the killing of one of those is, is not okay. Um, and as we think about a candidate specifically, I think it's one of those things that is a disqualifier. So every candidate for office is a broken person, has their strengths and their weaknesses, their, their flaws and their good things. Um, but I think being in favor of, of killing unborn babies is a disqualifier to be a leader. That's where I'm at. So um, this is for us, I, I wanna really clarify, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is apparent for us, and anyone who knows Peace Church, this for us, this is not a left or right issue. Right. This is not a Republican or yeah. Democrat issue. This is not a conservative or a liberal issue. Yeah. That th this is That's not a dichotomy that we bring this conversation into. We just look at the real fact what happens in abortion? A, a unborn child dies, yeah. um, often very gruesomely. If you look at the nature of how abortion actually happens, yeah. um, and for us, again, this is not a political position for us. Yeah. We take a pro-life stance because we value life, and as you said, uh, we preach on it at least once a year. But I'm pretty yeah. sure if you look at our records, it's it's woven throughout the year. Yeah. Um, it is a going to be an issue we address in this sermon series. Um, that I, I'll be preaching, so yeah. I'll let, I won't say too much yeah, yeah. more at this point because I got a whole sermon to preach steal, on it. I'm trying not to steal too much. No, 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 please, yeah, yeah. One real quick, I'll, I'll add to this um, some things that I've seen in recent elections I've heard Christians say, um, and just real quick, I think this goes back to what we said about don't let a policy or an issue get reduced beyond its essence um, or, or down to language that, uh, that cheats a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, in recent elections, I've heard people say things like, well, um, Christians should be pro-choice because it's, it, it, it makes sure that we have safe abortions. Um, and, and I hear the sentiment, we value all human life, we want to keep people safe, we love uh, mothers, uh, pregnant mothers, we want to care for them, but let's just be fair, right? There is no such thing as a, as a safe abortion. Um, yeah. Abortions don't save lives, they take lives. So I just want to say, Christians, don't be fooled by, by language like that. Um, it's, it's just not fair, it's just yeah. not, not the case. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I've also heard people say that pro-choice candidates are actually the real pro-life candidate because they actually advocate for policies that help people across all stages of life, not just at birth. Um, and we'll be quick to say, and you've said this before in sermons, that we have plenty of room to grow in the pro-life movement. Yeah. Um, we have our flaws, we have our weaknesses. Uh, we don't wanna just care for babies, we wanna care for moms, we wanna care for uh, people at all stages of life. So we have room to grow, um, but boy, I think that's just totally faulty to say that uh, a pro-choice candidate is actually the pro-life candidate yeah. because they care about other issues of life. Um, yeah. I think that's misguided. I, I'm, so. I'm chomping at the bit to try to I know, talk sorry, a little I'll, bit more. I'll stop so I don't, no, no, no. It's just we're, we're preaching a sermon on this, but I will say just because I think it's relevant to this question as far as God and country, when we pro, when we vote for pro-life candidates, yeah. um, I think the voter has an obligation to be communicating with those candidates and ensuring that their pro-life policies are are undeniably strong, yeah. amazing. Um, and would win the hearts of those who are pro-choice, knowing that we care so much about life. Yeah. Um, we're not just wanting to see babies born, we want to see them taken care of um, from the moment they're born, before they're born, but, but definitely from the moment they're born and continue on. Yeah. So I want to talk more about it, but we're preaching yeah. a sermon yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. So I'm like, well, we're definitely going to come back to it again in one of these uh, That's a Good Question series. Yeah. Uh, but. Great question. Perfect. It, is, it is relevant to now. So Perfect. Awesome. Hey, thanks, everybody, for the great questions. Thanks for your time. It's been a joy to get to talk about some biblical issues. Hopefully, this has been a helpful resource for you as you yeah. think about how to be a Bible-loving and following, Jesus-following Christian in our world today. Mm -hmm.